0: Well, hi everybody! It's great to be back here again, second week in a row. I know you're all in shock, but uh, yeah, we're doing a three-part series on vision for Scum as we start to round the uh, corner for our toward our 10th birthday coming up in February. Yeah, it's an important one, I guess. Anyway, uh, the title of today's sermon is uh, Don't Try So Hard (laughs) to Be Like Jesus. Um, Don't Try So Hard is actually a song by Queen Freddie Mercury as a lead singer. I thought I'd just share the lyrics with you because I've never read Queen lyrics at Scum before. (laughs) If you're searching out for something, don't try so hard. If you're feeling kind of nothing, don't try so hard. When your problems seem like mountains, you feel the need to, fill it, to find some answers, you can leave them for another day. Don't try so hard. But if you fall and take a tumble, it won't be far, and if you fail, you mustn't grumble. Thank your lucky stars. Just savor every mouthful and treasure every moment. When the storms are raging around you, stay right where you are. Don't try so hard. Boy, there's a... Uh, there's a credo for the Slacker Church right there, if I ever heard one. But, um, yeah, I, I do want to talk about it. Uh, none other than one of my favorite C.S. Lewis has said something very, very similar to this. He and Freddie are both Brits. Maybe they had something to do with it, right? This is what uh, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, um, Many things, such as loving going to sleep, or behaving unaffectedly are done worst when we try hardest to do them. Now, maybe you guys have tried to go to sleep. I have, and in my mind is racing a mile a minute, and I am trying to go to sleep because I know I've got to get up early the next morning, and if you're like me, it is antithetical to sleeping. You just... The more you try, the worse it gets. And if you're like me, you begin dreaming that you're trying to go to sleep. And so when you wake up, you feel like you haven't slept at all. Does, does anybody else have that experience? Thank you. Okay, good. All right. Or you ever try to act naturally when, you, when, you, when you're feeling afraid or when you're feeling a little bit awkward, you're trying to act like everything's fine? I mean, the harder you try, the worse It gets, right? We all know those things. But is it true that loving is the same way? I mean, I think it is. If I play with my children because it's something I think I ought to do, because I want to be a good Christian father, you know, it's okay But wouldn't it be better if playing with my kids was the thing that I wanted to do the most right then? So, the title of today's sermon is Don't Try So Hard. And in some ways, I think this reflects the ethos of Scum of the Earth Church. We are not known as the purpose-driven church for a reason. I mean, we just don't try that hard. I mean, it's... And I think part of the reason is because those of us who have tried really hard at doing church in the past have wound up falling flat on our faces. It's kind of like when I was a kid. Let me explain something. I am the oldest of four children. And when you're the oldest like I am... You learn how to arrange things with your siblings so that you can always get what you want. Sometimes it's cajoling, bribery, sometimes it's intimidation and force that you use in order to get the things that you want. And so I was very adept at doing those things. Then tragedy struck our family. As many of you know, my mom died when I was 12 years old. Four years later, my dad remarried a widow with three children of her own. And so now the relational landscape has changed in my family. I cannot run roughshod over my stepbrothers and stepsister because now my dad is watching me like a hawk. And all they got to do is say something to their mom, and I'm in big trouble. And so... The situation I found myself in was one that was totally unfamiliar, where before I was, dare I say, prideful, arrogant, anything but humble. In the new family situation, the rules changed, and I didn't know what to do, really. Now, you add to this me becoming a Christian, and you have what I like to refer to as the holy wars, in my house, because I was young and zealous for the faith. I was concerned about my family, at least in an eschatological sense, meaning the end times kind of a sense. I had read the late great planet Earth, so I knew everything there was to know about Jesus coming back. And uh, I, that's that's a joke for those of you who don't know. (laughs) And so I was always trying to, witness to my family. Well, this worked like hell. It didn't work at all. I mean, it got to the point where one of the members of my family said to me, Mike, if heaven is full of Christians like you, then I don't want to be there. And so I realized that my actions were going contrary to my desires. And so then I decided I'm going to be the very best son that I possibly can be. I'm going to be the very best big brother that I can all for the sake of Jesus. And so I embarked on this new venture to love my family. Now, think about C.S. Lewis's quote. Many things such as loving are done worst when we try hardest to do them. I remember talking to my stepmother about this because, you know, things just weren't going super well relationally for me. And um, she says, Mike, you know, you just try too hard. It doesn't come off as being genuine or organic or or real. It comes off like... You're trying to make us all your projects. Like, just relax. Don't try so hard, to quote the words of Freddie Mercury. Now, relate that scenario to becoming a Christian and being part of a church. I think we all get ourselves in huge trouble when we decide we're going to gut it up and we're going to be the best Christians possible. You know, the movie Saved comes to mind. Jesus Camp. You're going... Do those people annoy you as much as they annoy me? And yet they are full of righteous zeal and fervor. Like, why should I be taking pot shots at those people when they're trying so hard to follow Jesus? And I think it's because they're just trying too hard. And I was not exempt from that. A fairly ambitious guy. I like to run things. I like to be the person in charge, always have. I remember early on, even in a little tiny young life club where I was like the observer or junior leader person, watching or listening to the senior leaders who were all of like maybe two or three years older than me and been around for a little bit longer than me and thinking to myself, I could do a better job than that. I should totally be the senior leader for this club, but of course I had to pay my dues, and I went through the ranks. I mean, even in an organization, a Christian parachurch organization, there are there are ranks, right? I mean, you start at the bottom and you kind of work your way up until you get to where you want to be, and then you know, new, and then you've arrived. You know, you're holy, you're God's number one child. You know, it's the strangest thing. I don't know what it is about Christians. It's like Before we come to Christ, we know it's all about grace. I mean, none of us is worthy, right? It's all about coming to the cross and falling before the cross, and (laughs) and then as soon as we become Christians, then it kind of switches. Now it's all about how we behave and how obedient we are and our good works and how much of the Bible we memorize and how spiritual we look when we sing songs and who we can counsel, how many people are going to our Bible study, yada, yada, yada. And somehow that makes us more pleasing in God's sight. And the cross is far, far behind us. Now it's all about our works. Now it's all about how we're coming off to God the Father. We want to be number one son, number one daughter. I don't know how that happens. We lose sight of the fact that we're all sinners. That's one of the reasons we have recognizes our need for a Savior on our mission statement over there on the back wall. That we recognize we're a broken people. That we're a broken church. Now, I told you a little bit of my story last time. Um, thought I was going to be this great Christian leader of young people, and God decided to put me on the shelf for a dozen years or more. And so I, I went into the secular work world, tried to make as much money as I possibly could, because I'm thinking, well, if I'm not doing what I really want to do, which is be in ministry, then I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can. I'm going to find the highest-paying job within the will of God. (laughs) And so I sold for a company called Century Marketing, wonderful people, Christian people. I sold for an advertising agency. But, you know, I kept running into these roadblocks. I don't know how else to put them. And I would watch the guys who were the top producers in the company? And go, okay, wait a minute. I am working harder than you. I am going up to my territory earlier. I am seeing more potential clients. I am staying later than you. And you're taking off for fishing trips in the middle of your week, and you're and you're you're like the number one salesman. Jim Donardo, Diamond Jim, number one salesman. <laughs> You know, I'm going, what? So I'm up at Jim's house in Michigan one time. He's got this great back deck. And, you know, he's pulling down six figures. And I'm I'm going, I, I remember saying, Jim, how do you do it? What is it? I mean, how are you like number one year after year? This is what he told me. He goes, Mike, honestly, it's about as hard for me as falling off of a log. I went, what? Yeah, I don't have to try at all, I feel. Like I, I'm I mean, you know me. You know, you know how much I like to fish. Sometimes I get tired in the middle of the day, I go home. <laughs> I mean, my wife can attest how hard I worked at this job. I was so pissed off at God going, This is not fair. I also realized then, you know, God calls different people to different things. And we all need grace to whatever job he's called us to do. And just because I'm, you know, Hotsy Totsy Mike Sayers, doesn't mean I can do every job there is to do. Because there's not grace there for me to do it. There's grace there for Diamond Jim. But there's not grace there for me. At least, not any more grace than just to feed my family. You know, I should have known. As soon as I got successful, as soon as I kind of conquered the giants in the territory, my competitors, and was starting to make a fairly good wage, I got totally bored. Totally bored. I'm going, I can't do this anymore. I was at a place where I could have worked four days a week and made a full-time salary. But I was like totally bored. The grace wasn't even there once I was successful. Moderately. I was never Diamond Jim, never up there. I made the top 10%. And so I was looking for the kind of job, for the kind of life that was like falling off a log. I didn't want to try so hard anymore. I'm thinking there's got to be more to this. And I talked to my brother in law, Bill Bismeyer, very successful owner of his own heating, ventilating, and air conditioning uh, company, sells the, the units to the contractors. And I realized something about Bill. It was all a game for him. He loved sales. He loved doing what he did. He loved trying to beat out the competition. He worked longer and harder because he enjoyed it. Guys like me, Trying too hard. So, the title of today's sermon is Don't Try Too So Hard to Be Like Jesus. Could that work in the spiritual realm as well as the vocational realm? That's the question. And I'm, I'm not putting down hard work. I worked hard. And God blessed me. But I think that um, we're going to go to the Bible now. All right? So if you've got a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 2. But I want to go with the message first. So yours may not look like this, but just listen while I read. Philippians 2, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the people who are the Christians in the town of Philippi. Philippi is a, is a town in Macedonia. That's northern Greece. Okay, so it's a real people, a real place. He says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Now, stay right here for a second. This is the wonder of the incarnation, meaning Jesus taking on human form. Those of you who know Spanish understand the word incarnation. Jesus is part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He is worshiped and glorified forever and ever from before time until after time. The angels do his bidding. Everything that has been seen, everything that is invisible, has been created by him. And at one point, in order to save humankind, Jesus comes to earth and incarnates himself as a whimpering, puking, pooping, peeing, nursing, crying, helpless baby. I mean, just the nine months in the womb had to be traumatic. That's what I'm thinking. But... The wonder of the Incarnation is really rooted in Jesus letting it all go. That's what this passage is about. In Greek, they call it the kenosis, the emptying of himself. The emptying of his godliness. He still was God, but he didn't claim any rights as God. Do you notice... As he was an adult doing his ministry, he would say things like, I only do the things that I see my father doing. I obey what the father says. He didn't do anything on his own. When he performed a miracle, he performed a miracle reliant upon the power of God the Father. He didn't do it out of his own deity. Remember, even at his crucifixion, as it approached, he told The Roman governor, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me. But he didn't. He suffered death on a cross. He totally humbled himself and emptied himself. He didn't do anything on his own. Because some things, like loving people, are done worst when we try hardest to do them. Let's go over this again. Now, if you've got the NIV, go through it with me. Philippians 2, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, of any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one in, unit and pur- one in spirit and purpose. Paul is laying it out in the line here. He is begging the Philippians. I mean, he was an apostle. He saw Jesus on the road. He had rights to command them to love one another, to be in unity. But that's not the approach he's taking. He is pleading with them as one who comes alongside, saying, look, please, for the love of God, and if you've loved me, do these things. You see, one of the things I've discovered as a Christian is, I have no power. I have no power except the power that somebody else gives me in their life. It could be somebody who comes to scum of the earth. You can come to me with a big, big problem and say, Mike, please, I've totally messed up my life. I need some direction. The only power that I have is the power that you give me. If I tell you to do something that you don't want to do, I have no power. Paul is taking that stance. He's not lording it over the Philippians. And he wants them to complete his joy. Complete his joy. Now, that's interesting because he didn't say, I want you to make me joyful. He says, I want you to complete my joy. In other words, they've already begun to make him joyful just by being in Christ. Kind of good here. I mean, he's not coming down on him very hard at all. He's saying, just make me happier by being like-minded, by being one body, by being of the same mind. And that being of the same mind, it's like a continual thing, not just a once and for all thing. It's, it continues. You know, as, as a life of a church goes on, things change. We're not the same church we were 10 years ago almost now. We're not the same church we were six months ago. I mean, think about it. Since January... Tim Dunbar has left. Joshua Peebles and Leanne are out on the road. And tonight we say goodbye to Joshua Cook. Can we maintain being of the same mind? Can we continually kind of do that out of our love for one another, our respect for the Lord? He is pleading for their highest interest. This is not really for him. Because he's not there. He's in jail. This is for them. He wants them to do nothing out of selfish ambition. As one who has tried to climb the ladder of church authority, and as one who has been frustrated in those attempts for well over a decade, let me say that's the kind of church I once come to be—not the kind of church where we're trying to get ahead of one another. I mean, I was frustrated. I felt like God put me on the shelf for a dozen years or more. I wanted to be in church leadership. I did everything possible to try and be a good follower. And, of course, I was so self-centered and so ambitious that when my wife did not act in a way I thought was becoming of the wife of the leader of this particular church, then I would blame her for my not advancing up the ranks of ecclesiastical authority because I was that much of a jerk. She wasn't submissive enough to me or something. What a crock. There's a reason that God would not let me be a part of beginning anything like scum of the earth until I was 46 years old. (laughs) Because I was a proud and arrogant jerk. And let me tell you something. Scum of the earth, it's been about as easy as falling off a log. Honestly, I didn't do much except open my house and do whatever came naturally. People ask me, well, Mike, how do you start a church like some of the earth? And just to kind of show the futility of a question like that, I will say things like, oh, it's really easy. Um, you uh, start out in ministry, then have God put you in the shelf for about a dozen years. When that's done, then I want you to pick up your family, move them halfway across the country to go to seminary at about 40 years old. Then somewhere around then, you've got to meet the beginnings of what is to become a very popular Christian ska core band. This is really important now, this step. Because if you don't do this, scum of the earth isn't going to happen in your city. And once you find this really growing in popularity band, you somehow maneuver yourself to be their pastor. Then ask the lead singer if he wants to help you start a church and watch him turn you down for a full year. Then get fired from your present church position so that the only place you have to go is into God's will. And then maybe you can start a the earth in your city. I mean, seriously, honestly. I can't even take credit for the name. As David told you last week, I didn't want it. I was trying to get them not to pick it. So I made him pray about it for a week. Because, yes... I am that devious. I am that much of a poser. I will use prayer and hide behind it, hoping that they will do what I want them to do in a week. Like falling off a log, people. I'm serious. He says, let go of our selfishness. I was looking through the ancient Christian commentary. There's a guy named John Chrysostom. Uh, actually, it's a nickname. Chrysostom comes from, uh, it's like a Greek nickname, means golden-mouthed, because he was such a great preacher. And I'm honestly, after reading some of his comments in this commentary, I'm going, he was good. This is what he said. Selfishness is the cause of all sorts of evils. From it comes strife and rivalry. From these come jealousy and contentiousness. Out of this, that love grows cool when we are in love with human glory and become enslaved to the honors of popularity. One cannot be both a slave to popularity and a true servant of God. They were worried about popularity back then. Ever gone to any of those ruins? Ever seen those statues people made of themselves? Oh, yeah. We haven't changed much. And then he says this about counting others better than yourself. If you accept that such and such a person is better than you and persuade yourself of this, not only saying it but being fully assured of it, you will also happily see him honored. And if you happily give him honor, you will not be disturbed to see him honored by others. I mean, when somebody is honored in the church, gets a position that maybe you thought you could do better, Are you more concerned about yourself? Are you selfishly wanting popularity? Or do you somehow count that person better and are happy about that person being given honor? That's a great question for people in the church. I want Scum of the Earth to be the kind of church where we are rejoicing in other people being honored, even if we're being ignored. We should be the kind of church that puts other people's interests smack dab in line with our own interests. I'm not saying take your interests and throw them away. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying be falsely humble. That's trying too hard. I'm saying at least take others' goals and others' dreams and put them right there with yours. And if you can do anything to help them get there, then do it. That's the kind of church I want us to be. He urges us to have the kind of mind that was present in Christ Jesus. Do You remember what Jesus did? Remember how he expressed leadership? The Passover he had with his disciples? He got out a bowl of water, took off his outer garment, wrapped himself in a towel, and began washing the feet of the men who called him master. That's humility. Serving the people that look up to us. And then it's also being humble enough to have a woman of ill repute Come into the place where you're having dinner with very distinguished guests. Pour perfume on your feet. Wash her feet with her tears and dry your feet with her hair. To be humble enough to accept the kind of honor that people get you. Because if you're saying, oh, no, please, please don't. I'm just a servant of Jesus. Don't pay attention to me. Sometimes you're trying too hard. Isn't it easier just to say, thank you, and then turn around and give all the glory and praise to God the Father? So if you do something awesome in church, you do a great job, you know, playing guitar, leading worship, you know, doing the media, cooking a meal, cleaning up, you know, leading the Bible study. Don't turn down. People's gratitude. Be humble enough to accept it. And then in your prayer time later, say, Jesus, I know it's all because of you. That's the kind of church I want to be. Those two areas I want to look at. Humility inside the church and humility outside the church. Inside and outside. I mean, Scum of the Earth is an organization. Loose term there, but (laughs) we are an organization. We've got a council, we've got a staff, you know, we've got a budget. We're on record with the state of Colorado. I remember when we very, very first started Scum, I mean, it was a buzz like you wouldn't believe. I mean, people were coming in, and it was fun and talking, and we would end the service, and people would never want to go home. They would just talk and talk and talk. And, of course, you know, it was just a small room, uh, and we weren't organized enough to have anybody in charge of cleanup. And I'm thinking to myself the first couple of times going, I wonder who I should tell the cleanup. You can imagine what the Lord told me. Mike, how about if you start cleaning up and see who helps you? I did that for months. I would get out this broom, dustpan, the mop, whatever we were supposed to do at the place we were at, and I would start to clean. And slowly but surely, people started helping out. It was amazing. It was amazing. I came to morning church, uh, I don't know, a month ago or so, because I knew that uh, we needed help in the nursery watching kids. And so I volunteered to take kids out in the playground. I was out there with Amy and Jim Croft, and, you know, and I watched babies occasionally here and there. And i never forget this one girl came up to me and goes, that's amazing. You're the senior pastor, and you help watch the babies? I'm going, I'm not too good to watch the babies, as a matter of fact, kind of like the babies. They're not nearly as whiny as some of the older people. <laughs> I watch the babies because it's the thing I want to do the most. But granted... If I thought too much of myself, I wouldn't be doing that. My question is, how much do you think of yourself around here? Are you too good to watch babies? Are you too good to clean up? Are you too good to come in here early, prepare a meal for 200 people? I mean, I'm not pointing my finger at you guys. I mean, it's whatever. If... It's something you think you may want to do to serve the body. By all means, humble yourself and do that. But it's not just about inside the body. Because we know we, we need all sorts of help inside scum. But we're only a couple hundred people. Count the morning service, 250. I don't know. What about outside the church? How is scum perceived? by people around. I mean, if we stop being a church tomorrow all of a sudden, would anybody care? And I'm not trying to push some kind of giant agenda here. I don't have (laughs) scums next five years for external outreach planned and want you to be a part of that. I don't. Historically, I have not wanted to be the Walmart of downtown Christianity for Denver, where we have every conceivable ministry coming out of scum. I just thought, that's stupid. There are so many cool people out here already doing stuff that we wanted to get involved with those people right from the beginning. And so they were helping us, we were helping them. And so, historically, we would send people out, whether it is to work with prodigal gatherings or to work at Sox Place or to work with, um, you name it. I'd rather send people to do and help others than just try and bring all fame To scum of the earth for doing everything. But it's not just about helping people in organizations. I think it's an individual deal as well. Josh Cook has no idea I'm doing this, but I'm going to tell on him for a while. Sometimes it's good to catch people doing something right. Josh Cook has one of the best reputations of anybody on staff outside of Scum of the Earth. He's especially good when it comes to people who serve him in any number of situations out and about town. Whether he's at Dasbog or at Sputnik or wherever, he is respectful of the people in those Positions of service. Not considering himself better than them, but rather getting to know them. What's your name? Treating them like a human being. And then when he comes back, remembering their names. This even applies to people outside of scum in what I would call uh, different religious streams. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a a Lutheran pastor here who wrote a book about the evils of Christian television. I'm going, that's really hard. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. eh? Wish I had thought of that. (laughs) But she's talking about, you know, the quote-unquote evangelicals out there. But she meets Josh Cook as one of those quote-unquote evangelicals out there, and Josh Cook totally strips her gears because he's not what she expected. She writes about it in her book. He gets like a page about how different this guy was than what she expected him to be and how cool it was to find somebody who you know, wasn't extreme, right wing, hardcore, homophobic, you know, crazy radical, shove Jesus down your throat kind of Christian. That's what once come to be. People who, according to our mission statement, passionately yet respectfully share the saving love of Christ and also people who demonstrate God's love in our community. I don't know if you guys were here on Saturday, but Ben Mercer headed up our section of a big community makeover where folks from several different churches would come and then go out in the community and help out. I mean, I want to be known for things like that. Now, just to help out, and again, let me preface this part as I close by saying, don't try too hard. I'm not impressed with how much you do. God is less impressed than I am. He's looking for something totally different. He's looking for a humble heart that wants to serve because it wants to serve. Not because it feels like it ought to serve. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees could have been just that. But we're going to have these uh, sheets. Go ahead and pass them out. On one side, there's going to be opportunities uh, for service right here within SCUM. And then the other sheet, there's going to be opportunities for serving outside of scum. And again, if you're checking one of those boxes or turn it back in because you want to get some kind of brownie points with God, then just crumple it up and throw it away. I'd rather have you not do it. This is not about trying hard, all right? Because many things, such as loving going to sleep, or behaving unaffectedly are done worst when we try hardest. But if this is something you will want to do, if this is something that looks almost as easy as falling off a log, then sign up. Sign up. We'll get you more information later. Take those slips and put them in the offering buckets because really, it's just as important as your money. It's an offering to God. Place it in there. We'll get back to you. Genevieve, why don't you go on up? Now, tonight we're going to share communion. Communion is the physical example of what I'm talking about tonight. Remember, Jesus in heaven, part of the Godhead, worshipped and adored by myriads of angels, who leaves heaven and comes down to be born as a baby, and not just be born, but continue on to be crucified as a common thief. We're remembering his humility. We're remembering his emptying of himself when we eat the bread and we drink the cup. Jesus during his very last meal with his friends took a loaf of bread and broke it and said take and eat this this is my body broken for you then he took the cup and he said take and drink this this is the blood of my new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins it's the metaphor for what i'm talking about tonight question I have for you is, do you want to follow him? Do you want to follow him? If so, please get up and take communion. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for the example that he was. Someone who did not, did not look for his own glory. Who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considered others better than himself. Lord, help each of us to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others, helping our attitudes to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.